Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from inside Michael Jai White's body here in 2021. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today from the You're Missing Out podcast, which Phil and I have both guested on, the only podcast who can say that, is Tom Lorenzo, one of the hosts. Thank you for coming on, Tom. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm glad you decided to pair up a guest. People will say who for a movie where they'll end up saying what? <laughs> um, Trust us. Most of our guests, people say who about. We only had Tignataro uh, on once. Everyone else, we were like, ah, who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, here I do. I mean, I want to start by asking you a question, Tom. Okay. Um, you watched all of the Universal Soldiers, correct? Like you, you well. Went- I I watched the four that Van Dameron. I watched thirty minutes of the first Showtime made for TV movie and said, <laughs> "Fuck this! It's actually giving me a headache." I, so I, I guess, all I know is this is bad. So bye. The, the question ultimately, I mean, first of all, I I, I want to know about all of the films, but I also it begs the question. This is not a deep well, mythologically speaking. Like this is not the type of thing where. There's a lot of uh, juice in this. And I'm kind well, of unclear as to how they got this many movies out of this. Well, it's funny because um, it's essentially the Winter Soldier movie 20 years before they got to Winter Soldier. That's, I that's mean, that's, I think this is even before, because I forget dates about the comics, but this is even before Winter Soldier was premiered in the comics. 
So it's not a that it's a bad concept. You could mine stuff from it. And while Roland Emmerich is not the greatest director in the world, like the first one was took itself relatively seriously and the like what the themes were and the the premise of it that there's kind of a weightiness to it and the Vietnam flashback stuff and all that. Uh this one has none of that. Um it foregoes no. anything that makes the first one relatively decent and kind of meaty for what it could be. But the two sequels that came out in 2009 and 2012 directed by John Hyams are legitimately great movies. They actually, they legitimately dive in and take the premise seriously of these. Yeah. We're going to make action movies out of them, but ultimately he made horror movies about, the mind being like your mind is not your own and who are you and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, John Hyams, the son of Peter Hyams, a filmmaker who made 1999's amazing Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, end of days. Um, great flick. (laughs) He also shot, uh, his son's universal soldier movie. So they look great. Um, those movies were also big in making direct to video action movies, kind of like a legitimate, um, subsection of cinema. Um, well, that 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 actually that brings up something that I wanted to talk to you and Kenny about because I feel mm-hmm. like this is this is a oeuvre or genre that I'm not particularly well versed in, which is mm-hmm. just sort of like straight up action movies, right? Like well, these are I, ascent- Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I want I want to before I get pulled into this. Okay, I don't have much. Uh, familiarity with direct-to-video action okay. movies. I have a theory as to what happened here and why the direct-to-video action movies have gotten better as actual, you know, theatrical action movies have gotten worse. Yeah. But I, I have not. I, I post two thousand when it comes to action, if it wasn't in a the theater, I probably didn't see it. So this is more time. Well, but but I do think this that gets folded into ultimately my question here, which is that. I was never a big 80s action guy either. I mean, mm-hmm. your Schwarzeneggers, your Stallones. I saw a handful of them, um, but like it, it wasn't something I sought out. Yeah, And it feels like the evolution kind of, I think to Kenny's point, was that it kind of went from that into, it, it kind of moved into straight to video, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, absolutely. So the, the, I guess the question is more about why did that happen? And B, you know, is, is there sort of, I don't know what the best way to, to describe this is, but like, did it did it downgrade or did they essentially, like, did the script stay the same, but the the, the audience just kind of turned it to a different audience? Like, wh- what ultimately happened? Why did these 80s action films well, go from being these sort of, mo- these, these huge movies to being relegated to straight to video? Uh, I mean, it's really, I mean, this, there's a lot of different ways to like figure out how this came to be. I mean, a lot of it is really just, um, the audiences didn't go to see them in theaters anymore. I mean, this was the movie we're here to talk about was Van Damme's last theatrical release. And boy, is it, is this, this it's this one, right? This is his yeah. last theatrical release? Okay. Yeah. Even though the last two Universals got, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah, whatever, like yeah. festival runs or whatever. But 
for all accounts, this was like the end of that era. This, and I mean, you know, you guys talked about this. Uh, Arnold couldn't get anything launched with End of Days. That kind of just bounced. Um, Stallone is really co- is nowhere in '99. I mean, he's yeah. done basically, and he's done well, until basically Rocky Balboa, uh, yeah, which is like then, seven years from now. Yeah, and he has a little a little pop there, and then he's done again until Creed. So, yeah. But even even there, he was like making stuff that like okay, like people were kind of going to see, or they had like a hook, like the Expendables movies or mm-hmm. Escape Plan. But there was no doubt that was the end of his run. And you know, you got Van Damme's done. Seagal's a joke at this point. Um, Chuck Norris is on TV. He doesn't even really do movies. Um, I think people so just the, got is the, done is with the it. next phase. Is the next phase Statham? Is that basically what happened? And then like the I Rock think and, for and theatrical, the theatrical movies, I think for theatrical it was Statham because those transporter movies were weirdly successful. Like you don't rem- like if you look at the receipts, you go, "Holy shit, these made a lot more than I really thought they did." Um, and then yeah, you got like the Fast and Furious movies, but even those don't really become a thing really until five, because three was almost direct to video. Until Vin's yep. cameo got them to like be okay, we'll we'll put this in theaters, even though it looks like a direct video movie. I don't like and the uh, revisionism of Tokyo Drift. Uh, it's a bad movie. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, well, I can, can talk so about that all day. By the way, I, oh me too. I don't like the revisionism. The revisionism of that either. Um, if that fra- people act as if that franchise wasn't dead, dead, dead. The resurrection of the Fast and Furious is one of the most remarkable things in commercial cinema. Seriously, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's honestly right up there with what Kevin Feige, Feige's done with Marvel of just, how did this happen? Even more so. All right, I want to I wanna talk about this too and okay. see if I can, because this is my theory and Watching Universal Soldier 1 and Universal Soldier 2 back-to-back on successive nights uh, gave birth to this idea, which is essentially in the 80s. uh, So I'm watching Universal Soldier 1, and you know I I go pretty deep in terms of 80s action movies, particularly 90s action movies. I don't think there's anything I haven't seen. But um, it seems like very clearly, you know, uh, Robocop T2, um, that kind of vein. It's Van Damme's Robocop, yeah. It's Van Damme's Robocop, right. And it's good. I like Universal Soldier 1 quite a bit, right? Yeah, it's a pretty solid Uh, movie. It's not Robocop, but I think that's kind of where my theory starts, which is in the 80s. So in the 70s, go back even further. You go to the Death Wishes, Charles Bronson's, that kind of stuff. It was grindhouse shit. Yeah. It was B-movie shit. They were disreputable. Yeah. It was the kind of shit that you – the kind of shit you made – when you had no money. Also, there are a lot of great movies that came out of that, right? Yeah. Because when you don't have money for effects and action stars and whatnot, you tend to be dealing with people who don't have a lot of money in general, who have different kind of things on their mind, and start talking about things like, you know, uh, imprisonment and poverty and oppression and really interesting kind of things. That show up on the screen that often show up in a lot of, you know, kind of B-movie genres and a lot of uh, low-budget genres. Take that to the 80s. They got a little bit more money, but you're still talking about these kind of ideas, but from kind of a technological standpoint. 
Yeah. You're still talking about oppression. You're still talking about, um, you know, kind of the, the, the fear of the, the, the elite class. You're still talking about alienation. You're actually talking about things that are really relevant to people, really relevant to, you know, kind of the mass of this country. Around T2, and then my, my theory is essentially James Cameron fucked this all up. It's not his fault. He just was too good. He was too but busy around, the bar. Yeah, right. So around this time, James Cameron started making movies with these themes, really, really good movies, and Verhoeven, really, really good movies with these themes that started making hundreds of millions of dollars, and they started giving them the budget. And filmmakers, and particularly studio filmmakers, stopped understanding why movies – I mean, go go back to First Blood because I had a lot of First Blood in my head watching this movie as well, particularly Universal Soldier. These are very similar movies, right? About Vietnam – Vietnam veterans coming home. Yeah, the war doesn't Yeah, exactly. Being abused by society, being discarded by society. Literally, Universal Soldiers about zombie soldiers. That's I mean, it, it, it literalizes PTSD into the that you die and come back as a mindless killing machine for a government that doesn't care about you and just sees you as a shell to throw at problems. It literalizes it, whereas in Rambo, it's more of the psychological not actually tangible he's a robot thing it's that you know literalizes it and i think there's also some mentoring candidates in there as well oh there's There's also mentoring candidates sure like but that was that was an idea of high art right and that's an important thing like there's an important thing that like high art always kind of dealt with these things and low 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 kind of art kind of dealt with these things but when you get to the middle which is where we wound up you just are throwing bombs and explosions of pyrotechnics. And this is that there is the, by the way, I didn't hit universal soldier two either, but <laughs> there was, a, there was a moment early on in universal soldier two where Jean-Claude Van Damme's character of all fucking people is arguing in favor of the universal soldier program. He's arguing against us. Yeah. U.S. government's like, it's pretty hard to explain to the public why we're like bringing people back from the dead and using them as killing machines. And he's like, much better than sending our young guys to war. I mean, what a shitty fucking argument. Like, what a shitty yeah. way to – what a shitty fucking <laughs> dichotomy well, here. Like, that. those are oh, – how about not having wars? Let's try that. So, well, like – I'm sorry, Todd. You just you, – we wound no, up in a situation – we wound up in a world where, where they've decided essentially war is inevitable within the world of Universal Soldier. But in the real world, you've just – you've lost any subtext. You've lost any attempt at allegory, and you're just blowing shit up. Yeah. So the reason to me that in the 2000s uh, and to the, in 2010s where we are today, why the big action movies are essentially mindless, mindless meditations on friendship is, <laughs> yeah. be, like, is because like they just gave up. They gave up any idea of, of well, actually having subtext. Because they can't anger people. You have yeah. to play it safe. It's it's Hollywood got its grubby little hands on the action genre and you can't anger people. And I think even more to what you were saying, I think this started in the 80s with Rambo 2. Once Reaganism started eking its way mm-hmm. into action cinema and became populist. Rambo 2 is a great call. It's it, it becomes a case of now, okay, we can't say anything more than just oh, America's great, or now, you know, I love the Fast and Furious movies, but, oh, f- we gotta be a family. Family's all that's important. And 
all the way myriad ways every sequel ties itself into knots to make you know the bad guys are good now and we're all friends and everything's fine if we just hang out and bond over a corona yeah. <laughs> and we say grace and we're you know and we're part of the I, I love fast and furious too but i don't think for one second about what's going on there they're they're robs they're fucking they're 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 Today's version of like a man, 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 world or charade or something like that. It's just getting a bunch of people together to have fun. And it, it is, I mean, it is as much as it's great to see big, like James Cameron doing Terminator two for a hundred million dollars. Even he knew that there were limits because he didn't slather everything in CGI. He knew what worked and what didn't and had to be gritty and oh, down to earth. Huge and part. It, and it's because he came from the Corman school, which were the guy, which was the guy in the seventies and sixties doing these movies that were disreputable, giving them low budgets. So they had to be creative and you had to do something more than just, well, you got everything in the world. There's no problem. So whatever, finish a hundred day shoot. It's like, no, you got a weekend. You've got 40 minutes of Boris Kar- Karloff. Uh, I don't know, do something. And uh, look at all the great filmmakers that came out of that school. And he always said, like, he would tell filmmakers, if you made two great movies for me, you would never have to work for me again. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting, Tom? What's interesting <laughs> is, all right, so I think you just kind of – we just kind of tracked the, the the devolution of the action genre. This didn't really happen with horror. No. You know? It didn't – like, studios – like, whoever is in charge of horror at studios – uh, never really turned it into something. Well, that it kind of happened in the '90s after Scream. Oh, that's true. That's true. But it wasn't long enough. And well, but it, that that was like the that was like when horror became meta, right? For like a brief moment, where it well, became, it became very meta, and it became right. very Kevin Williamsony, very yeah, Teen yeah. WB, where it was. Yeah. I mean, horror was always about young kids getting slaughtered. I mean, for the last 15 years when Scream came out, but there was never a sense of like, oh, these are soap operas and it's just who, like, who's in love with who? And we're being very cute and meta. I mean, a lot of the movies in the 80s were brutal. Even though they were about kids, it was brutal. There was no sense, like, they weren't worried about hitting, like, the four quadrants. So even if your mom doesn't like horror movies, she'll think this movie's cool because the kids are cute or whatever and there's, like, some romance here. And but that that little window ended very quickly. I mean, even Scream Three came out four years into it, and yep. that movie was widely just like, "Oh, this sucks. We're done with this now." And I think just because horror is so very cyclical, it can never. And 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 studios are always just like, "Oh God, horror movies. We don't like horror movies." All right, well, they're making money. We're making money, so we'll ride this train until it stops, and then they bomb and then they stop putting money into it until jason blum shows the world no people like horror movies but don't give john debon a hundred million dollars to make a goddamn horror movie we it, 99 was a very bad year for horror i mean oh, i'll yeah. put that in some pretty giant air quotes it was a very bad year for alleged horror where people didn't know what they were doing i think a lot of it is, is the scream effect what you're what you know what you're talking about tom i think um horror I'll put it this way. Horror and action are both genres that are necessarily heightened to the point of uh, disbelief, right? Neither of these things make sense in the real world. Yeah. What happened with horror is I think people continue to understand 
that people aren't constantly getting murdered all the time. And anytime someone gets murdered over and over and over again, there is an existential thing going on that you have to investigate one way or another. Right. So that's why a movie like Happy Death Day, which 20 years ago probably would have been a joke, is actually kind of interesting. Um, Whereas we've kind of normalized action to the point where like, yeah, it's just another thing that happens like flying cars. and That's just, that's just another thing that happens. Well, like, it's, it's, it is that suspension of belief because most action movies for the most part, maybe these movies, not in particular, but there is no like fantastical sci-fi elements that are immediately going to take you out of it where you go, okay, this isn't real. They're like, like people could kind of, we kind of see it nowadays how, with all these assholes marching around with their machine guns thinking they're Rambo because there's you know, it's, no- it's funny. It's funny you bring that up, Tom, because I so I, I have not seen all of the Fast and Furious movies. And in fact, I never saw any of them in the theater. Um, but a friend of mine uh, kind of dragged me to see Hobbs and Shaw okay. and Hobbs and Shaw, I think, tips it to your point. Because it yeah. gets into kind of the supernatural a little bit, like it well, gets kind of it's a universal soldier. Yeah, exactly. It is um, right, and and it, and it it's kind of where I felt the it lost the audience. Like you could kind of sense yeah. it in the in the theater of people just being like, "Wait, what? He's like a super soul? Like what is this?" Yeah. So I, I you got to kind of walk a fine line with this. But anyway, sorry. I, I mean, it's, it, but like horror, like the, the, the one genre of horror that never really like, uh, I don't know, has that big moment or whatever is like just regular people killing people. <laughs> like, cause like even Halloween was like at the end, it's like, no, he's death. This isn't just a guy in a mask. This is death. And then sequels are just, well, he keeps fucking coming back. Oh my God. Even Jason was like okay he's this weirdo in a in a bag hat mask now he's got a hockey mask now he's a zombie okay now he's just a zombie <laughs> and even the post scream movies were kind of dealing in the fantastical with like urban legend was had like this weird sort of thing where like maybe she died or i don't know and then like, i don't know but the, horror the movies always have this like destination has this weird fate thing yeah it's it's hard to do people just killing people it's hard it's upsetting it is upsetting i mean the bet like some of the best horror movies are just about people killing people but there was no wave of norman bates knockoff in 19 after 1960 because it's just oh he's just a weird pervert who kills people in showers because he can't ejaculate because his mom made him weird uh There was no peeping Tom. Peeping Tom killed legendary filmmaker Michael Powell's career because it was too disturbing. So weird. Um, so like it's well, it's that so level I, of like realism that people just can't like deal with over and over again. Like they could deal with it once once every now and then, but people just want something over the top. I mean, fuck. Uh, Get Out was so successful because as incisive as it is, it's still fucking a movie about people cutting out brains and putting them into someone else's body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess my, my question to both of you is like, how did we get universal soldier Two? Like I, 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 I'm looking at a $45 million budget for this movie. Where did that money go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where did that money go? Exactly. Um, 
you know, up until this point, Van Damme, and I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up his his filmography here just to to walk through it. But um, Van Damme, it's, it's just interesting to me that anyone thought that this was a good idea. I think it was just a this last desperate gasp for him to like try to make something connect. This is so because like is- just to just to quickly walk through here, just just it just to walk through Jean Claude a little bit, just in terms of his filmography. Kickboxer would in Cyborg are those kind of Bloodsport. Those are when he comes into into notoriety. Am I am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, that's basically his like kind of coming out moment with uh, right. those three. Yeah, even though he was in Double Impact, it's Universal Soldier, Nowhere to Run, Hard Target, Time Cop. Sudden death, maximum risk, double team, and oh, now you, we're here. You forgot the quest, the movie he directed, which oh, was yes, sorry, the quest with Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton's the bad guy in that. Uh, that was is he? No, I uh, the bad guy in this is <laughs> I think James. No, not James Remar. He's one of the guys, but he's not the bad guy. No, uh, Roger Moore is his like. Oh, then it was Roger Moore. Buddy. I had was a bond. Bond. I remember thinking. (laughs) I I remember thinking uh, that I never saw Roger Moore in a movie until then. So (laughs) now, and now Rollins and I are now my son and I are are running the Bond series from the beginning. So I'll get to I'll get to more eventually. Oh God, that is a long question. He's he has he's sort of he has peaked right at this point. He's peaked. Straight Fighter killed it for him. Put forty-five million dollars into into a sequel to a film that was eight years previous. Like who's like? It just it, it it's baffling to me. I I think I don't know. I mean, because there's this whole subsection of the direct-to-video market. Even then, I'm just taking right. a title and just right. cranking them out because this movie really has almost. Like it, he's not the same character. They call him Luke no. Devereaux, but he's not Luke Devereaux. The fact At that all. he's even arguing to keep the Universal Soldier program going is a complete betrayal of the character arc he went through in the first movie. So it almost feel it really does feel like a last gasp for him of just being like, okay, we'll do the sequel to a movie that was successful because I don't. He doesn't yeah. really have movies you could do that would be sequelized. I mean. I mean fucking time cop <laughs> i mean because time cop was kind of like a closed loop like all right this story's over <laughs> i mean we had ron silver merge into himself and then just melt on screen <laughs> I, the other thing about van damme in this movie is this movie is seven years after the first universal soldier yeah and god love him it looks like he aged 25 years yeah, that man must have lived so hard in the '90s. So he goes from looking like a Universal Soldier to looking like to, to, to looking like an old kind of you know French professor. Well, and, there's, there's a reason you don't get the prototypical Jean Claude Van Damme ass shot in this movie. The ass probably doesn't look great. No, he's <laughs> not in the movie. He's not in he. That's the thing that really more than anything killed him is the 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 hubris that stardom gave him and the personal life problems, the drug problems. His uh, he got diagnosed as having bipolar disorder. You know he 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 lived a rough he, he, 
a rough 90s. And I mean, Street Fighter was the movie that ended it really for him. That was like the the shot to the head of like, okay, he's never going to be a big star on the level of Schwarzenegger or Stallone. But even the modicum of success he could have like in the B movies just ended too because he was such Mm -hmm. a nightmare to work with. I mean, the stories about making Street Fighter where he would just disappear and just, he he had like a $13,000 a day coke habit. Like... Jesus. Wow. I mean, here's the thing about about Jean-Claude Van Damme too and 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 this kind of leads to a bigger question too, which is that if you look at your your Schwarzeneggers, your Stallones, The Rock, even Statham, these guys have range. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these guys actually they can deliver a joke, they can show heart, like and 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 this actually speaks to sort of the wrestling thing to a certain degree as well, which is the sort of the theatricality of it also you know, can lead to good actors. And I think that Jean-Claude Van Damme's a bad actor. Like, he's just a bad actor. <laughs> like, he's, he, he's you know. He, 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 was, he was a bad actor. The, the funniest thing, though, is he's become a good actor. And it's because he wasn't too dissimilar from Schwarzenegger. They weren't actors. They were physical presences. But Schwarzenegger was, is, was and still is a maniacal man who needs right. to be the best at everything. He learned. Yeah. He made a movie with John Milius. He had James Cameron. He had you know filmmakers helping him to grow, and he knew what he was. Van Damme was just this weird little man from Brussels who was a martial artist who wanted to be a star, and his early run of movies were not helping him grow. Bloodsport and Kickboxer were not good movies made by good filmmakers they were just cheapo little things he made i mean he didn't make i think i think this the first universal soldier was like the first time he made a movie with a legitimately decent director and then he'd have like john do you think that do you think that if jean-claude van damme got a twins or something like that early in his career that could have shown a little bit of well he made a twins basically he kind of made twins with um Oh, what's it? Not double impact. Uh, yeah, it's double impact. He double made a movie. Where he, the Rodman. The no, Rodman he movie. Ma- no, he made a movie. What? What the fuck's the name of this movie? I keep forgetting. Did he make, a, did he make double, double dragon? Impact. He made double impact before Universal Soldier, where he plays twins. He plays himself. Yeah, okay. and, yeah but I mean yeah. twins like twins oh. like the movie twins. <laughs> well, I think Schwarzenegger <laughs> was able to make twins work because before then he'd worked like he'd grown before he got to twins like he was okay. he was smart enough to not do something like twins before he felt comfortable right. doing it because he'd worked with walter hill john james cameron uh john mctiernan uh he worked with like legitimate filmmakers that helped him elevate his craft and he you're saying that john claude never had that opportunity and i guess my question no. is had he had that opportunity do we think I, I that think john claude could have had that career I think he could have. I think the hubris thing might have still hurt him in the long run because Schwarzenegger never had that problem. He he was kind of similar to Stallone with the hubris problem of just letting his own ego get in the way. So I don't know if having good filmmakers grow him would have been good. <laughs> well, there, there, I think there's a, another parallel for Van Damme because you know Schwarzenegger and Stallone – God love them. Never could do the physical stuff. No, right? They, they looked great. Yeah. But I, you know, Stallone never boxed until he wrote Rocky. Like he, he's, he these guys aren't super athletes. Mm-hmm. Jean Claude Van Damme's a super athlete, oh, right? Yeah. 
So the guy who's closest to me, a super athlete who has struggled, who struggles delivering dialogue in English, it's Jackie Chan, right? Yeah. So if you like, to me, he see, and to your point, Tom, the hubris also extends to not looking silly on camera. Yeah, that's why all of his lines are very are very short, declarative sentences. You know, the, the jokes are usually one word jokes, re- you know, reactions, that kind of thing. But if he had a little hubris about it, uh, I'm sorry, if he had a little humility about it and uh, took the piss out of himself a little more, he could have maybe done the Jackie Chan thing and survived for another 20 years with these yeah. like kind of physical Marvel things and also making fun of himself. Well, I think also a big – I think the difference between him and Jackie though is that like, like Jackie, like Schwarzenegger, like Stallone – those three guys were very integral in the making of their movies. They were kind of the artists right. behind the making of their Cute. movies, where Van Damme was just kind of taking movies. He wasn't like a creative. And Jackie, they tried to push Jackie in America in the early 80s. It didn't work. So he just went back to uh, Hong Kong and revolutionized the action cinema with like the police story movies and doing his yep. own stunts. He was his own director. He, he was the artistic presence right. behind those movies where van damme like there's just so many like mistakes or just wrong avenues he went down where he was never like if he took a little more control had the humility like kenny said and challenged himself he could because he's like a good actor now like i watched uh that movie he did jcvd before yeah, the I was show just gonna ask, is it good it's like it's a decent movie it's like a bank robbery movie but you want, but like he's legitimately great in it. He has this monologue where the movie breaks all sort of reality, and like he floats up into the air above this this the setting, and he just delivers like a five minute monologue into the camera in his native uh, language, and he's like going through all these emotions, and he's crying, and he's showing regret and all this stuff, and you're like, yes, this is what you like what you needed to do 20 years ago, but like you can do it. And then he's acting in the other two universal soldier movies. He's giving those performances that you wanted him to give of the humanity and the humility. And he's doing other roles, all these other roles since then fucking Jean-Claude Van Johnson. I mean, that's him finally like saying, okay, like I can make fun of myself. Like, let's have fun with this. And you know, I mean, he was in that era where action was changing of the physical performer. I mean, like we said, Stallone and Schwarzenegger weren't physical guys. Even Bruce Willis was not a guy you would imagine getting into a boxing ring and fighting. But you had the rise of Van Damme, Seagal, Chuck Norris, guys who were primarily there because they could believably sell a fight. Seagal, mm-hmm. maybe not really because he was always kind of just a big goofus, but... um it's a goal, okay. so, but it, it's interesting because, like, take those three guys. So, so Norris and Seagal are are pieces of shit, right? Just like pieces yeah. of shit that no that no one roots for in Hollywood, at least, and no one wants to see any kind of revival. I think JCVD, which was, I believe, about ten years ago, um, maybe a, eight years. It ago, was eleven. Like that, right? It was eleven. It was two thousand nine. Yeah. There you go. So ten years ago. Oh no, no. Oh, sorry. Two thousand nine. We're gone. Whatever. A while. And then uh, John Claude Van Johnson speaks to something uh, in people around our age, 
which is there's a lot more meat on the bone here. Yeah. Right? There's a lot that we that we see in this guy that was never capitalized in the 2000s when it probably should have been. And the way it was with certainly Schwarzenegger, we, I, we have seen every aspect of Schwarzenegger. Stallone to some extent, even though it was done so poorly, certainly with a Bruce Willis type, certainly with Jackie Chan. But there is this – there is something about Jean-Claude Van Damme that – is so underdeveloped in the collective mindset of America or of the world of, of film going audiences. And it does feel like we've left something there. Um, the thing I felt both, through both these movies and I watched sudden death like two weeks ago too, which is spectacular. Awesome movie. Also directed by John Hy- uh, Peter Hyams. Excuse me. It is so good. It is what action movies should be. It's one of the uh, best diehard records of that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep pushing Phil with there's this, this podcast called Screen Drafts, and I want to do the the drafts of Die Hard on a Ellipses movies. Oh, the but Die Hard knockoffs. Yeah, that would be great. It's a really, really good Die Hard knockoff, and it plays like you know, you know, the whole like they use every part of the Buffalo thing. They use yeah. every part of this stadium. It's Dude, wonderful. I'm trying to remember. Is the end of? I feel like the end. They kill the villain at like center ice. Am I crazy? Is, yeah, is that not yeah, yeah, yeah. Power, power booth. I believe they dropped the jumbotron on him. <laughs> yeah, um, which is uh, exactly what I'm saying, right? That's using every oh, part of the buffalo. Oh, not, not even just that, but him fighting the Pittsburgh Penguins mascot in a kitchen is who, by, by the way, is 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 played by a woman with yeah. manicured, manicured nails in a kitchen who beats the shit out of him oh yeah it's so good that's the kind of movie he should have been making because there's a sense of humor to that movie and Mm -hmm. i think the thing that works great about van damme is he's kind of a goof like he's kind of a cartoon character but like there's this goofy like quality to him that if they honed that persona he could have like he's good in jean-claude van johnson he's funny like, he's good at playing a goofy guy. And the thing that also helped over time with him as he aged is he's got a great hangdog sad face. Got a, he's, he's got a great face in general. He's yeah, but... Good, yeah, go ahead. But he's a good-looking guy, but, like, as he's aged and, like, you watch in JCVD, he's got a good sad guy face where he can bring some pathos and emotion to a role that wasn't there in Bloodsport when he was just this fresh-faced young guy and he was, you know, had no wrinkles in his face. Now he's like, there's history in his face and history so, in those eyes. I think you're hitting on why I like Sudden Death so much because Sudden Death, 95, right? So we're two years removed, three years removed from the first Universal Soldier, four or five years removed from, you know, Bloodsport King kickboxing. Like, basically, this guy could do no wrong, right? These characters can't lose a fight type thing. Sudden death starts with he's a he's a fireman. It starts yeah. with him like failing to save a child. And yeah. the first act of this movie is how much of a loser he is to his children and their new like cool their mom's new cool boyfriend because this guy is now just a fire inspector at the Pittsburgh Penguin State uh, Arena. Um and he's no longer a fireman and he's no longer a hero and he's no longer anything special. And he has this like regret. And the best he could do is get these kids tickets to the game, like, you know, three quarters of the way up. 
Um, and there is exactly what you're talking about, Tom. Like he is a fallen hero and a fallen icon. I think like what they missed here, again, because I think Sudden Death is so good. What they missed here was the opportunity to get to, to put him in silly situations and take them seriously. Yeah. Over and over again. I happen to also watch, again, I have young kids, uh, Jingle All the Way yesterday, which is not good and not fun. Um, but would have been better if it were a Van Damme movie because Van Damme fits slots into that sure. a lot better than Schwarzenegger does. That particular, like Schwarzenegger does kindergarten cop better than anybody could do. But Van Damme could have slotted into this heightened, like you are playing uh, the, the human version of a toy that also weirdly is equipped with a jetpack on which you can fly to the sky. You can Listen, touch I- the clouds. I don't. I don't see any problems with what you're describing, Kenny. So I don't really, as a as a '90s kid, I don't appreciate this jingle all the way slander. No, it's garbage. Fuck jingle all the way. So I'm going to give a, a synopsis of Universal Soldier Two for the people who thank God have not had to watch it. Uh, after being brought back from the dead as a genetically enhanced warrior, Luke De- uh, Devereaux, played by Jean-Claude Van Damme, is now fully human and working with scientist Dylan Kotner, played by Xander Berkeley, to create a new, safer breed of fighters. When Kotner's project loses its funding, his supercomputer, the sentient Seth, played by Michael Chai White, is scheduled to be turned off. Alarmed, Seth takes over a human body to defend itself. To prevent the machine from destroying mankind, Luke must fight back. Universal Soldier 2 opened on August 12th, 1999 with $4 million against the Six Sense Bowfinger, Mickey Blue Eyes, Runaway Bride, and the Thomas Crown Affair. It would Ooh. go on to make $10.7 million on a $45 million budget. It has 5% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 24% from audiences. That is generous. Uh, Joe Layden of Variety Magazine called it an underwhelming follow-up to one of the career-stalled action stars' better efforts. Paul Malcolm of LA Weekly described the film as a mind-numbing exercise in body counts and big tits. Uh, Mick LaSalle <laughs> of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote a mixed review saying, uh, the film has a shameless B-movie exuberance and that it is not for nothing to be proud of on either side of the screen, but it's a lively 90 minutes. And Kevin Thomas of the LA Times called it a satisfying sequel and wrote, this one return is surely welcome. It is definitely satisfying after the Showtime movies. <laughs> so you watched you watched half of a Showtime movie. Just so yeah, it, just it, was, so, uh, it was a nightmare. Uh, our listeners understand exactly what happened here. Universal Soldier was made in 2000, uh, sorry, 1992 by Roland Emmerich uh, before Correct. he made Independence Day and uh, other giant blockbusters. I guess it was kind of his audition for that kind of stuff, and I guess he passed. Yep. They, they decided in 1998 to make two Showtime movies under the Universal Soldier banner that were alternate sequels, I think is what I read. Is that right, Tom? Well, they're basically supposed to, they're literally called Universal Soldier 2 and Universal Soldier 3. So I think the idea was like, they're going to be the sequels. And again, I didn't do, I don't, I didn't find any of the it, information about this. It felt like they were trying to kind of like backdoor pilot these into a Universal Soldier show because I don't know why you would make two of these fucking things for Showtime of all places. But then they immediately make this movie for, the theaters and so though this movie ignores all those two 
just immediately like, yeah, those don't count, whatever. Like they're they're bad. Um, and then the uh, the last two, the Hyams ones, erase everything before it and just say the first one is the only one that happened. And now we're going to have this. The Universal Soldier basically is its own like action movies Halloween of just choose your own adventure. What continuity do you want to follow? Mm-hmm. Which is okay. Which I don't, you know, give a shit about because yeah. I I really only need the two Hyams movies. It's sort of like the Terminator series. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, both yeah. got started for Kuroko. If that's how you say the production company's name. Kuroko, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, they just made those, they're bad. Like, Gary Busey's the bad guy in the well, second one, and he walked. His introduction is him slow mo walking off a plane with Spirit in the Sky playing, and then he mows down a bunch of soldiers. Looks to his the 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 colonel and says, "There's your new Universal soldiers." And you're like, "Oh, he's <laughs> like, okay, this is gonna be just." Ugh. So he so he's he, he's he's a, a a murderer who murders good soldiers to try to turn them in them into universal soldiers. Yeah, the plot of that one is he's using them to run drugs for the CIA, mm-hmm. and Luke Devereaux just causes trouble for them as Luke so Devereaux was wont to do. This is why I feel like I kind of just blanched the, the initial characterization is there's not a lot there to make tons and tons and tons off of. Like, there is something there, right? There is something there in terms of, like, bringing these soldiers back to life and imbuing them with, I guess, machine power. I'm not really sure exactly what we're working with here, but yeah. the idea – and, like, taking over their brains and having to be, like, half people – and having like I, I, there is some like mythology in terms of like the last memory you had is the memory that kind of drives you. Is yeah. that right? Well, yeah. I mean, there's also the there's the Jerry Orbach character in the first Universal Soldier movie. Yeah, that gives us a very just a, just a, a taste of some scientific well, logic behind well, what the, they're the, doing. The Jerry Orbach character was cut heavily because the first one was supposed to have more of a sense that the government was doing nefarious things with the Universal Soldiers, but the the studio was like, let's not get too political with this. As we said, we can't, uh, you know, before we can't make too big a statement really, so we have to kind of just make it that oh, they're doing something good, but Dolph Lundgren goes awry, and that's the plot instead of having this. But it's just, it's. I mean, the actual like biological what they're doing which is i guess they found some way to regenerate human tissue to some degree or reanimate it at the very least and they have these quite frankly just a headset yeah that that can be just taken off and thus control is lost which they uh kind of tackle in the the first of the Himes movies where they literally just drill them into the universal soldiers heads before a mission Smart. That makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> this happens sometimes. This what we're talking about happens sometimes, like occasionally, where you'll have a second or sometimes a second and a third that like doubles down on what was good about the first one without actually understanding the subtext or playing into the subtext, without furthering any kind of message that the film's trying to do. Uh, and then someone will take it and re- rediscover later on what made the movie special at a smaller budget. Um, 
I guess I'm kind of talking about Mission Impossible to some extent, Uh, a series that I don't like, but a series that clearly lost its way with the second film. Um, And and I guess found its way later, which was just, you know, I don't even know. Why do people like Mission Impossible? I really don't understand. Because people want to see Tom Cruise. Why are you bringing it up? What? Why am I bringing it up? I, 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 I don't know. I'm interested in Tom's take. Why, why do people like Mission Impossible? Just because they like Tom Cruise hanging off planes? Well, this could, because they realized that those movies were not going to beat James Bond at the uh, location porn game of we're going to travel the world and have the locales. So we're going to outstunt them. We're going to outset piece the Bond movies, which... They have. I mean, other than Casino Royale, all of the Mission Impossible movies out action every James Bond movie. And mm-hmm. it's helped in part because Tom Cruise wants to die on camera. And um, it's, it's, it seems that way. They should have just gave him the Oscar in 99 and he wouldn't have this death wish. Yeah, no, I mean, it goes without saying that he um, should have won for Magnolia. But I, I, to your, to your, I agree with you, Tom, that, that uh, they just go bigger than the Bond movies to a certain degree. I mean, I certainly would say that Fallout is is just the sheer... I mean, I saw it in IMAX, and the sheer size of that movie is pretty staggering. Um, but I, I guess... I mean, in, in regards to Universal Soldier, it, it the first movie, which... I thought was was fine in a in a dumb sort of '90s action movie sort of way. I'm not really much of a Roland Emmerich fan um, in general, so I, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was fine. Um, this movie has basically no connection to that oh, film, no. other than the fact that John Claude Van Damme's character is the same is named the same character. I, I don't I don't really feel much of a connection to it. Um, how did he become how how did he become human? He just kind of says it to the female lead who is performing the exact same function as the female lead of the first movie. Uh, how did it become human? They don't, they don't explain it. Uh, they, I mean, unless I missed it. I mean, this is, this is also, you're speaking to the fact that this movie is edited within an inch of its life as well. I mean, this movie is 89 minutes with credits. I mean, it's probably 80 yeah, minutes. They just say that Xander Berkeley cured him. <laughs> yeah. So Which they are able to like, like, Oh, you could just cure him? So then what, why is he here? What purpose does he serve if he's just a human guy fighting like actual monster machine men? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, like, the... The movie in and of itself is almost completely useless 
except that it asks all these questions that we're talking about right now, or it it begs all these questions that we're talking about right now that it sounds like have been interrogated a little bit in the, in the sequels. And I do think that sometimes the best sequel stuff or the best further examination of IP comes out of these mistakes, right? Like comes out of things like these little things like, Okay, you can bring some. Wait, 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 you're telling me you can actually bring someone back to life, and they're not a universal soldier. They're just people. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> that a little more, you know, or things yeah. like that. Um, and this movie, yeah. So this movie does is, is like it, it's no, it's it's no coincidence that we're hardly talking about this movie at all because there's almost nothing there. There's well, John it's, Mark, it, it toys with the idea of AI a little bit, which like is it, like it, weird to make your movie about your sequel about you like revived yeah. soldiers mind controlled soldiers to be essentially a lawnmower man sequel or a 2001 sequel basically he's basically how right like they he's straight just up to- steal the scene from 2001 of him reading their lips and saying oh well now i'm gonna kill you which the scene where he tells them i'm gonna be bad now and he just gives them the finger and says fuck you fuck you <laughs> That was the moment where, like, the movie wasn't good beforehand, but that was the moment where you go, okay, this movie's never going to (laughs) recover. Because, like, the movie begins with, like, an in-media res of a boat chase, which was like, okay, this is stupid, but, like, it feels like clearly a stuntman directed this. So it's like, okay, if this is a movie with just some good stunts or whatever, and it feels like a stunt show at Universal Studios, whatever, fine. I could enjoy that. But then there's not a single good action sequence after that. No. Nope. Uh, that so that and you know we just we just did for Russia with Love. It's the same thing, right? It's the same like it's actually a training exercise. They all I believe they do this in Monsters Inc. as well, um, which is one of my least favorite ways to start a movie. And I, also, it's a it's it's a it's a an exercise that threatens rape. Yeah, that was fucking like. Why is this happening? Like what? The rapist, everyone knows that. Uh, I know it was crazy. Do you, are you guys aware of who that girl is in the movie? Who the no. woman is? No, Tom? I, her name is Kiana Tom. Yeah, I don't know so, who that is. So Kiana Tom uh, is the she. Tom, I think you're a bit younger than us, and Phil, uh, you are Canadian. So you were not up on <laughs> I, I, every time I mention Phil's Canadian, he responds. Like, there are reasons, Phil. We had different television growing up. Oh, okay. so okay. Uh, when I was a child, I spent so much time watching Sports Center. I put it on when I got up in the morning, and I just watched Sports sure. Center until I went to school. At nine o'clock, usually when I was going to school, but if there was a non-school day, if it was a holiday, or if I was sick or whatever, Sports Center sh- switched over to a show called Body Shaping. Body Shaping was a workout show, ostensibly, but it was really like softcore porn. Where like three spectacular women did uh, calisthenics for their audience, the lead of which was Kiana Tom. Kiana then got her own show called Kiana's Flex Appeal that aired, I think, like so that was from ninety to ninety eight, all through the nineties. So I looked this up and I'm like, is that the Kiana Tom? Then for after that, she got her own show, Kiana's Flex Appeal, which apparently she created, and I'm sure she's very wealthy right now because it was a huge success. But Kiana, so Kiana Tom was almost like a proto, um, 
I want to say like, or like, like the next evolution, like the '90s evolution of like James Bond, but almost like a proto like Cindy Margolis type person. Um, okay. Jenny McCarthy or Carmen Electra, like getting Keanu Tom to do this movie, you were going for a certain audience member, people who ogled women <laughs> lifting weights after Sports Center. <laughs> Well then, I guess you you got what you were looking for in the first ten minutes of this movie. Then, if if that's what you, I mean, I mean, all, yeah. I, listen, all I can say is I've always been looking for a movie where Bill Goldberg almost rapes a physical fitness model from Sports Center. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank you, Universal Soldier: The Return. And then you go to the Bill, the, the Bill Goldberg element of it, which yes. you know Tom and I talked about before. Mike uh, be, uh, talked about before we got on Mike a little bit. Yeah, Bill Goldberg was WCW's answer to Stone Cold Steve Austin to some extent. Which you uh, know, know that what's WCW? I don't know so that. So WCW was Ted Turner's um rival company, rival promotion to WWE, WWF okay. at the time. Yeah. At the time they were really one and one A. They were they were fighting in the ratings. WCW might have even been bigger. Um but this is right around the time when WWE, I guess, was was on the on the upswing and WW, WCW was on the downswing, so they brought in Bill Goldberg, a former NFL player who looks you know like Steve Goldberg, um, but kind of like he got injected with Bane serum, and <laughs> brought him brought him into WCW, and he never lost. He had a win streak and he was undefeated for like two years and became the champion. It was legitimately very popular and and really you know really like did give. WCW's last gas before. Did he, have a, did he have a wrestler name or was his wrestler name Goldberg. Bill Goldberg? Just Goldberg. His, his, la, his wrestler name was Goldberg, which is surreal. It's surreal that in WCW's an Atlanta based promotion, a Southern promotion, that in Atlanta in 1999, the biggest fucking MAGA, like proto MAGA guy, was named Goldberg. And they would chant Goldberg. <laughs> it was as if they didn't know. I'm telling yeah. you, they didn't realize. And like to me, a, a Jew, Goldberg is not a particularly cool or tough Jew name either. There are cool Jew names. You call him, you call him Silver. You know, Silver's pretty cool. <laughs> you know? Oh. Like, like, My like, fucking, I grew. I went to school with a guy who's now in wrestling in AEW, whose name is Johnny Silva. Johnny <laughs> there you Silva. Go. You went to school, with Johnny Silva. Pretty cool. Um. um so, Goldberg is so, also so, the name of the fucking goalie from the goalie. Mighty Ducks. Goldberg, the goalie, that was his name. That is the that, that, that Goldberg. Everybody in that audience had that association. So Bill Goldberg, who was pretty much just Goldberg, but everyone knew his name was Bill Goldberg, becomes this like huge star. And because yeah. WCW is part of the Ted Turner Empire, which at the time included uh, TNT and TBS, and probably sure. had you know ties with everybody. Uh, they tried to put him in these movies uh, to combat, I think, right around this time, The Rock was starting to take off, too. So you had Steve Goldberg, Steve Austin, who's this, like, media superstar. You have The Rock, who clearly, everybody was like, if we ever had a chance to make a movie star out of a wrestler, it's this guy. Uh, they put Goldberg in. Goldberg has negative charisma at this time. A Col- Goldberg, I think he's just awful in this. I think he... He, he, oh, he's he had, really bad in this. He's bad. He really and, bad but you, you know he wasn't the first choice for that role, right? That was it Austin? Awesome? It was Austin. 
and they offered it to WWF at the time, and they just didn't tell him, and they said no, and then they gave. Then Goldberg got it, and Austin was not happy at the time, but I'm sure he's much happier now that he didn't have to do it. Austin, yeah. another secret wrestling liberal. So <laughs> there, are these, like, yeah. there are all these secret wrestling liberals, which I really get off on too. But uh, like, the, Tom, you know who JBL is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. J- JBL it started his career, John Bradshaw, Lay- Layfield, not to get too far into wrestling, as a, uh, like a, like a, like a, like a Texas farmer who would brand people. Yeah. What he was. <laughs> Uh, then he became a part of an acolyte. He became an acolyte, so he worked for the Undertaker. Then he became part of like APA, which is a production agency. But they were really just vigilantes. They were like hired vigilantes who just you know used their badges to beat the shit out of people. Then he became a real life like he became a real life kind of uh, stock savant and made a lot of money. He became like a Fox Business News correspondent and used that in his real life, and he became like a like a like a wealthy Texas millionaire and you think he's the most conservative character ever this guy put the put forth the most elegant yet forceful rant i've ever seen against the confederate flag he is it's crazy he's I, it was the first time like 10 years ago i'd seen someone elegantly speak on why the confederate flag should never be flown wrestling's great bill goldberg's not um, the best part so I, I, I do think that – I mean, listen, this movie is, is trash. But I, I think that one of the things that it really struggles with is is tone. Um, oh, yeah. It'll vacillate wildly between, like, adrenaline and, like, camp, I guess. Well, the funny – the honestly, the best moment with Goldberg is the most unintentionally funny moment in the movie, which is when he tries to jump into the truck. Oh, and so they just pull it in. And he goes, yeah. oh, shit. That's <laughs> I know, and then he runs over him, and then with his with his free hand, he somehow you know deflates the tire. Like what? Yeah, the the movie is uh, it's it may be the most like nineteen ninety nine action movie of like like the Matrix came out in ninety nine, but that's not a ninety nine action movie. That's a movie that's pushing things forward. This movie is. 1999 with its insane like new metal like basically like wwf music cues with that shitty rock music i mean they go to a strip club for you know because i know where there's a computer of course it's at a strip club yeah i I also feel like this movie i don't know about you kenny but it, it reminded me a little of chill factor it had similar a similar vibe yeah chill it did well i mean really the first one did a lot more than this one, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, this yeah. one, this one, the movie it reminded me of for whatever reason was the Rambo, the 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 Rambo reboot, not the one that we just got, Last oh, Blood, the fourth the one. one that one that was just called Rambo, where Rambo, where Stallone couldn't do anything, so yeah. he spent the, he spent the entire climax behind like a, a what's the gun? Yeah, the entire, a a 45-minute fight scene where he doesn't fight. He just shoots behind something with a with, with a big like a big glass shield or a big shield. <laughs> a, 
but it all kind of takes place in this tight location. And it's like, it's kind of like a siege on one location with the, you know, the climax from the rock, the exact same climax from the rock. But it just felt like, um, they're like, this is all Van Damme can do right now. Uh, this is all the money we can spend. We're going to blow up this one location. Um, but it's not going to be inspired in any way. It was really kind of a depressing movie to watch. I thought that the the fight scene, the, the hand-to-hand combat between Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Michael – it's Michael White? Is that his name? Sorry, Michael, Michael, Michael White. White. Um, at the beginning of it was pretty good. Like I thought Van Damme and him showed up. There were some nice wides of them like actually doing – but then it devolves into them throwing chairs at each other. Oh my god, that was just some of the most nonsensical shit. Just, I mean, it, it's it's not great for you to completely depower your main hero and then have him fight someone that would have been a problem to fight when he was a superhero. Yeah. And it's then horrible. you just rip off the Terminator 2 oh. moment to oh, have yeah. it where that's how you beat him, which is just, I mean, listen... I was not expecting this movie to be good or anything, but like, <laughs> like the like the stuff you're there to see, the B movie stuff is so just yeah. incompetent and like lazily f- filmed. It's just there's no energy to any of it. And Michael J. White's a great action performer. He's made yeah, yeah. one of the best direct-to-video action movies of the recent resurgence called Blood and Bone. He's fucking Black Dynamite for God's sakes. Uh, the guy's, I mean, he, he's the undisputed he's too. A, right? He's a genuine martial artist. He's yeah. like, he's, yeah, you know, it's so funny that you say that, Tom, because like, and this is, this is kind of go, hit, hearkening back to my initial point. In the absence of budget, you have to rely on the script and you have to rely on the innovation, practical uh, effects. Yeah. They didn't have to do that here. So when you say lazy, that's what I got. I, I left this movie saying, all right, I enjoyed that because I'm going to enjoy almost anything in the genre. Yeah. But it sucked. Like it's I enjoyed not- it, but it truly, it's, it sucked because everything they've done, we've seen before. Yeah, everything everything they've done was the laziest version possible. They did the bare minimum. Like I, when I want when I watch these movies, I really expect one or two movies. I'm sorry, one or two moments where I actually go, "Holy shit!" Yeah, right. Yeah, holy shit! Like I got that with sudden death like six times. I get that when I watch the old Bond movies where I go, "Holy shit!" Still, but there's nothing here where I felt like. They went the extra mile any in any direction. No, they so didn't. But that's a large part of that is because when you have $45 million in 1999, you know that like blowing up the building is going to look credible enough. You know, yeah. like the, the freezing of Michael Jai White at the end and the explosion of him, like it wasn't like revolting. The, 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 the effects wasn't the effects weren't bad looking. I've just seen that. I've been yeah. there before. It's, I almost expected it. It's 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 there, just like, nothing new about this movie. But it's also just that forty five million dollars. Like, where did it go? They filmed the entire movie in a warehouse, and mm-hmm. that it, was it, the thing too. That the 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 similarity this movie actually has to Universal Soldier is that Universal Soldier also felt quite small and contained. Yeah. I mean, they spend a lot of time at that motel. It feels like like they they don't. There's not a ton of location work in that movie, which is fine, and that's not a knock against it. This movie genuinely i have no idea where that money went no i I, it's honestly like 
you know, probably some money laundering scheme or something, or like they're cleaning some Romanian money because some producer's dating like some supermodel and they need to like, I don't know, prove she made money to come into the country or something. I don't know. But it's just, where, where did it go? I mean, it's not like there's a helicopter fight scene or something where like, oh, we need yeah. this special effect or this like yeah. stunt team. It's like, there's literally nothing. And even the like, they keep like, they set up, okay, we can only kill them by blowing them up. And then they keep yeah. using these grenade launchers on them and it's just a slightly so bigger dusty squib. Like yeah. you, you, you don't even like get into the nuttiness of what this premise can give you. Like this premise can give you crazy shit. And it doesn't, they don't take advantage of that at all. I mean, it's literally about a supercomputer that takes the form of a dead soldier and someone who was a dead soldier in Fiat fucking Nam, who's back alive and knows all about, you know, fighting monsters. And they throw chairs at each other. (laughs) (laughs) They also, I, I just want to take a sec to talk about some of the AI stuff, which which essentially kind of goes to a somewhat interesting place at the end where, where Seth is threatening to turn the daughter into a universal soldier so she can be his daughter. I mean, I guess, but then that's also just completely eradicated because they set up at the beginning that Jean-Claude Van Damme's been cured of being a universal soldier. Well, there's there's what's interesting about it, I guess, ultimately is that the daughter character is friends, quote unquote, with Seth in the beginning. Yeah. He's her baby. He's her baby. Which just means she sits in front of a floating blue cube. (laughs) That's the funniest fucking thing of all time. He's her babysitter. This, the most powerful machine ever created. And John Claude Van Damme uses it to watch his daughter while he's at work. (laughs) <laughs> while, while he's watching Bill Goldberg try to rape somebody. Oh God! So, so basically, and then you have a scene yeah, with the daughter. Who is, there's not something here. There's something here. The daughter is is what? How old will we say she is? Thir- 12, 13, something along those lines. I mean, they must take a pretty big jump in time because I mean, the, it's been seven years since the last movie. So I guess I mean, I mean, we'll say all right. They they aged it up a bit, and she's twelve, which. I guess she's the daughter of the reporter from the first one, which they also repeat that story again. Well, it's exactly, but she's not. Right. No, but she's because the photo, the wedding photo that he holds is not Allie Walker. I mean, Are you I sure? mean I it it's not, it's not a photo of her, but it's universal souls of the return. They could have just not remembered to ask her to take a picture. <laughs> or remember to ask well, her to come don't, back. They don't, they don't want to pay her. Yeah, they don't want to pay, they just get you, you somebody in her for for her liking. Can't, can't pay they that alley walking money. Oh, you, you've got such a small budget of forty five million dollars. You need to be penny pinching. <laughs> but my my point is, the daughters. Let's say she's twelve. They have yeah. a scene where the daughter's like, "Why did mommy die?" It's That's not a question a twelve year old asks. No, I mean. It's when, when you try to get exposition out. It is. And I mean, it's just like. It's just who cares? Like, they, like I, I I'm just think it's bad writing. Yeah. It's bad. It's, it's, bad, it's writing. Just bad writing of just them trying to like lazily be like, well, this is why Allie Walker's not back. She died, and this is okay, right? It's just the the daughter character. Ultimately, I, my point more than anything is that they could have done something interesting with 
what they were sort of kind of touching on. They don't. They choose to not do anything interesting in this movie across the board. That's all. No, yeah. There's. I mean, they didn't. He didn't. I don't think he needed a daughter to begin with. They literally had your your plot there to for him to stop the bad guy f- without needing the daughter. It's oh, a supercomputer is going to destroy the world. Oh, good. I'm willing to fight for that. Simple yeah. enough. Um, I want to. I wanted to talk um, briefly about the the. So Romeo, who is played by Bill Goldberg, his yeah. name is his name is Romeo. Um, Maggie, who's played by uh, Keanu Tom, woman that Kenny that Kenny watched. Um, anyway, yep, yep, that's quote it. Quote unquote watched. She um, rides cool. him down the stairs of of. In the stairwell? Oh my god, yeah. Like like he's like he's a fucking like toboggan. Yeah. <laughs> like it's home alone. Yeah. yeah. It literally like and then like slams his head into the wall. And, and like he, like he's the fucking wily e. coyote. He he is he he is one of the worst Universal Soldiers imaginable. He really he, is. It's like they wanted a Dolph Lundgren Universal Soldier of like, oh he's the wild card and everything, but yeah. he's not. He's just Doing Bad. what he's been told to do, but also yeah. he's a sex criminal for some reason. <laughs> also, every every time he gets activated, he gets like you know told in his earpiece it's time to get ready. He gets yeah. his little vial on his face. Like it is, it, it's a very very bad movie, made worse by the fact that it's not a very 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 bad movie. If that makes yeah. any sense, yeah, like, it's not. It, yeah. I like this would have been like if I saw this when I was 12 at like two in the morning on TNT because I was a weirdo that stayed up late when I was a kid. I would be like, yeah, yeah. this is cool. Whatever. John Claude Van Damme's doing stuff, whatever. Um, but like it, but now if I'm drinking with friends, I'm sure I'd be we'd be able to roast it for 90 minutes. But it's not <laughs> well, like it's not like and there's nothing fun really to just enjoy about like oh wow i can't believe they made this decision isn't that crazy it's just no they made every single simple action movie decision of just let's put it let's well we need this moment we need this moment uh he's got a daughter now and there's no like but it also takes like it also runs with all of the like uh technology fear that was going on at the time right because you also have like yeah. y2k you've got all that kind of stuff so you've got your like squid character this cyberpunk fucking hacker character oh, who's I played by tim blake there. nelson's understudy <laughs> <laughs> yes with like fucking blue hair but like he's got all these like notions of like almost you know religious technology kind of ideas that are yeah. sort of oh we're gonna we're gonna of, like, have the, uh, over. We're gonna have a what do you call it? We're gonna we're gonna shed our human bodies and become yes, yes. part of the machines. Whatever I forget the the term right now. Yeah, uh, what's uh, singularity? Singularity, transcendence, and sling- yeah, singularity. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna have the singularity, um, and he's that kind of guy. And you know, he's a you know a ninety slacker computer guy because he eats candy and pours soda into it and eats it like it's cereal. You know, he likes computers when you see that. Yeah. That's it's it's funny because that was the scene when they first showed him. I was like, I was like, all right, now we're getting somewhere because at least there was a color palette. <laughs> you know, yeah. there was like weird, there was there was there was weird nineties technology. Like I love the idea that this guy's some computer hacker and he has like basically a fucking like Mac two GS on his on his um, desk. 
that only only is in green and black in 1999. So, and you know, he's pen pals with a supercomputer, and he stole a dead soldier's body to store for it. It's like that's the kind of nuttiness you could like really roll with. You can have a lot of fun with that shit. You can. Have- I, I will say I laughed when he's like, "Oh, um, when he's like, oh yeah, Seth, me and Seth, we're gonna rule the world," and then Seth just breaks his neck and throws him. I chuckled at that. Yeah, it was a good that was, neck. That was pretty funny. Have you um, seen Tom I, the, uh, the the Rodman movie from this year? What's it called, Phil? Which the, one? The Rodman movie. Double T. Oh, uh, Simon Says. Oh, Simon Says. Simon. Uh, that have you one seen I have. That one I have. Oh, not you can watch it. You gotta I watch that. that. You would love that, Tom. Says is you know kind of this, but just just like fifty percent more aware of what it's doing, and the other fifty percent is like like they're like this will be funny, this will be cool. It's all really funny in its yeah. own way. Like the villain is very much like this kind of this kind of guy who's going to use his computer to control the world to what aim? Even he doesn't know. But it's great. Well, the best part too is that is that Simon Says has a fraction of the budget and looks as good as this movie. It looks better. Simon Says is a fucking good movie. I, we should have given it a good review. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have a good. Well, listen, art um, is a, is an ever evolving thing. Our relationship with art evolves over time, and Simon Says true. needed people to watch Universal Soldier: The Return <laughs> and fully appreciate what it was doing. Um, I mean, by the way, that's absolutely true. This movie has given me a new appreciation for Simon Says. So I had this argument over the summer with people that after Extraction came out on Netflix, that I think when it comes to action movies, you need there needs to be a balance in how complicated your story is versus how crazy your action is going to be. So like Extraction has the simplest story imaginable, which is fine because it delivers some of the craziest action you've seen all year probably in like two or three years whatever but if you're gonna like this doesn't have that balance it's got the dumbest story but it doesn't even buoy that with good action so it it extracted about this year that came out in like may Okay. I was like, that came out like two months into the pandemic. (laughs) Came out in April. Yeah. That was the highlight of April. Um, but I had, but like, I had that discussion again two months later when Netflix put out The Old Guard, where it's like, okay, you have ultimately a simple story, what they're going for. But with your premise of essentially a team of Highlanders, your action's not good. So your movie's ultimately leaving you not fully nourished. Like, it's junk food, but you're not even getting, like, full after eating it. I mean, you and I don't see eye to eye on the old guard based on your tweets uh, and on what you just said, obviously. But but I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Um, I think that this movie just... It's, it's a wet fart. So many levels. It's a wet yeah. fart. It's limp. It does nothing. Yeah. Like... Yeah. It it erases anything John Claude did in the first one. So he's not even like playing a character. Like say what you will about him as an actor, he's at least trying in that first one of being the dead soldier whose humanity's coming back. Yeah, totally. Um this he's just John Claude Van Damme. It looks like he showed up to set and wore his clothes that he showed up to set with on film. I also I, I think this movie fails also on a on a truly just 
understanding of making a movie. There's a scene in particular that I just want to highlight very quickly. It's a throwaway scene, but to me, it explains everything that you're talking about, which is there's a moment when a security guard pops his head out of a out of an office and stops Seth and tells him that the visiting hours are over. Yeah. And then Seth looks at him and kicks him in the head and kills him. <laughs> but, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. But that scene takes two and a half minutes. Yeah. Like it feels like fucking eternity. It's edited poorly. It doesn't look effective. There's no like it doesn't it doesn't create suspense. It's it's I guess it's kind of funny, but unintentionally so. Like it fails on basic filmmaking levels. It's like, okay, you don't need to have scenes of to try to like set up that Seth is a bad guy. He's a villain. Like we gotta stop him. It's yeah. no, we know he's a goddamn villain. He's unleashed an entire army of universal soldiers. Yeah. And again, he's a fucking artificial intelligence. Um, also, I don't know if you guys noticed it because it was like blink and you missed it. Michael Jai White's in the first universal soldier. Yeah, he is. I, I saw that too. He's, he I guess he, yeah, I guess he died at some point. He's in the, he's blink and you miss it in the beginning during the Vietnam sequence. He like sh- jumps into the foxhole with Van Damme says something. And then you just never see him again. Yeah, and Which, then in the subsequent like seven years, he went from a you know essentially a day player to someone who can be the villain in a movie, and I think they brought well, him back for that reason. But well, this was also after the big humongous failure of Spawn, Spawn, yeah, which was like his like okay, maybe we'll make him something. Um, Yet, yeah, not I, really not a failure for him in a weird no. way. It, yeah, it, it, it like, wasn't like a failure for him necessarily because he was slathered in so much makeup, but it didn't help him really. He could have had yeah. a pop, but he didn't get destroyed. Like, so you know, you know, a movie this kind of reminded me of Phil that we did recently in terms of structure. Uh, Which one? Um, Ghostbusters Two, because Ghostbusters okay. Two doesn't unleash the big bad, yeah, until in, in his in his final form until the end of the movie, yeah, and at that point, you know. Uh, we don't actually know if our heroes can beat this guy. Yeah. I think that they could have, it almost seems like they decided to bring in Seth in his human form, like three quarters of the way through writing the script. He, he could have been, uh, Svengali-ing this entire plot from the beginning with an actual, you know, with an actual mission statement early on, and the Universal Soldiers could have done a lot fucking better yep, yep, at yep. taking over whatever they're trying to take over. But these guys could hardly even take over the facility they were in. I, I thought he was. Over. I thought Seth was going to manifest way earlier than he did. It honestly already like short. It honestly feels like they knew you couldn't believably have Michael Jai White fight Jean Claude Van Damme because Jai White's younger. He's also a trained martial artist and. You can't have those two fight without it looking like John Claude's just really struggling because that's. Right. I feel like that's kind of why it devolves into him throwing chairs at each other at the end. <laughs> like we have to keep harping on it because it's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. But it's amazing. It feels it feels like that because there's the one scene in the hackers' uh, a home, which is an abandoned gas station, um, <laughs> where he just kicks him across the room, and then that's the end of it. 
Yeah, it's it, it truly does suck. There's never any real foreboding. There's the one line Michael Jai White gives that hints at what this could have and should have been when he says, uh, you know, something to the effect of, I was a machine, uh, I wanted to be a man, now I'm greater than both of them. Right? Uh, he really should have, in, in the real version of this movie, with that kind of character and that kind of yeah. scope, he should have taken over, like, the lower 48. And that's where we should have been at that point. Right? Like, we should have in some way, like, been under, like, Dark Knight Rises rule, yeah. but for all of America. And then somehow Jean-Claude Van Damme figures it out through his brains, not through, like, you know, his weird ability to beat the strongest machine man of all time. It, it, I totally agree with you, Kenny. It, you also, I mean, it, they also could have just done the tact of, like, setting it up throughout the movie that uh, Seth is acting like out of sorts or like there's these little hints like there's a plot that they're trying to figure out and then like they realize oh it was seth manifesting it the entire time and here's his body you walked right into his plan and you could like have that moment of like oh right he was like doing like acting out of the ordinary throughout this like something like he's evolved or whatever to get to that point of I've become greater than my maker and humanity and all of that shit. Instead of just it like, doesn't seem that hard. No, they, but they they couldn't they couldn't execute phase one, which is take over the facility. It's so pathetic. And the fact and like the whole thing with the the soldiers around the facility and all of that of just well, we we got to hold them back. Really, you, they seem to keep wiping, kicking your ass the entire time, but they're still staying in the the warehouse and then it's like oh we can't blow up the warehouse because there's these chemicals and then oh wait we actually have a bomb that can wipe away the chemicals it's just like really you do you not have any idea of how to like stretch out your story it's just well we got this uh i don't know there's a bomb it's also i mean even just it's just it's very it's a very jarring movie as well just in terms of how it's edited we're yeah. like you, they they cut out of scenes at very strange points. Um, they cut away from Jean Claude halfway through lines in ways that you're just like, did he not get the whole line out? Did 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 it not look believable the way he's? It's just, it's all very strange. And then even just the final scene when he's reunited with his daughter, they cut out of it so quickly. They are so desperate to get out of this movie. As they do that in the first one too, though. They like I and they do that in sudden death also. Like I mean, I appreciate there is something yeah. there is something weirdly satisfying. Uh, to climax, reunion hug, credits. It's there was like, an era awesome. where the movies just ended. Like, oh, our it's plot's awesome. done. We're done. Get cut to credits, and you kind of miss that. And Jordana Brewster walking on the beach. I it's just not. I mean, I guess in that movie I did, but I just don't usually. No. Um, if it, it's edited like a movie that clearly was a troubled production of just we. For, somehow for $45 million, they must have not have had enough time to shoot this yeah. movie or Van Damme was too much of a problem or whatever the myriad reasons. Because it's shot like shit. It's edited like it's shit. shit. Yeah. Um, the original director dropped out. Uh, the the guy who directed uh, Podcast Like It's 1999's uh, favorite horror movie of uh, the year, uh, House on Haunted Hill. William Malone was supposed to direct this. Oh, no. He's got a screenwriting credit still, so they didn't change much of what he did. Um, Incredible. Which is kind of you. You kind of feel it, don't you? Now knowing it has a kind of House on Haunted Hill feel of like that weird yeah. '90s tech like kind of thing and yeah. the music. Yeah. 
and it's well, I don't and, know. And, and, a, and a mischievous sort of like ghost like AI thing yeah. like there's definitely and ultimately that we don't know how to do what we're doing here but yeah. you 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 mentioned it earlier it was directed by I, I a stunt coordinator I assume it was the stunt coordinator of the movie before I don't know if he was officially the stunt coordinator but he was um uh again another favorite of this podcast uh he was Mel Gibson stuntman up until 1997 oh, wow. and uh, <laughs> well, we, we love Mel um who doesn't why has anything <laughs> happened with Mel in the last 20 years yeah <laughs> he made fat man oh, I do I am uh, actually very excited to see that <laughs> You know, I saw. I, I think he still is his favorite stuff, man. He's he did he did this guy. I it's either Mike or Mick Rogers uh, did uh, Hacksaw Ridge. So he's yeah, he's still working with Mel. Yeah, he's just no longer his uh, actual stunt man. He's just probably the stunt coordinator. Stunt coordinator, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Kenny, yes, go ahead. Uh, did you want to rate this movie? Did I want to rate this movie? It's interesting. Yes, I do want to rate this movie. Would you like um, to start? I'm going to do something that I, I rarely do on this podcast. Uh, I gave it a 55 before this podcast. Wow. What? I genuinely enjoyed this movie, even though it kind of sucks. It's lazy. It does the bare minimum of term of plot and character and even set pieces. It's lazy and it kind of sucks. There's nothing. There was nothing that made me excited. Like it truly does suck. But I'm very into the genre and the tropes. And it's hard for you to not engage with a movie like this. They just work for me. But I can't give it a 55. I, I, I care too much about my uh, the letterbox maintained by Keith Ellison. It is a it is it is it is a forty for me. I'm giving it a forty. You, that is that's insane to me. A point higher than I gave Dogma. I would watch it again before I watched Dogma. That forty Universal Soldier: The Return. Go ahead. That is shocking to me, Kenny. Absolutely, totally fucking shocking to me. Fifty five was a decision that I made. I The decision was, I want you to know that I turned this movie off not hating myself for having watched it. And not some like 51, 52 like black and white number that I, I gave because it was like, that I gave that because it, I, I didn't enjoy that movie, but it is, a, it, is a, it is a worthwhile watch. This is, as I said to you, Phil, like I'm, I, don't, I sleep too well to watch movies like this now. I do. I just sleep. I sleep too well, and I'm not up at 3 a.m. anymore. But if I were up at 3 a.m., I could easily turn this on and be perfectly happy. So uh, I, I will give it a 40 because we just shit all over, and it's a very bad movie. But 40 better than Dogma. <laughs> okay, I, I, I gave this movie. I gave this movie a 10. This movie gets a 10 wow. before. This movie gets a 10 after. This movie 10. is abysmal. This That's movie is. Nice. But again, this is like a different. Like we're, we're coming from it from different places, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. But like, I, I don't have an affinity for action movies like like you guys do. So I, I understand. Yeah. The, I understand the the logic behind enjoying a good B movie action film. Like th- th- I truly say this with no judgment. It's just not my bag. Yeah. So I watch sure. this, and I'm just fucking bored. Like this is just boring and stupid, and I would never subject. Myself, I certainly wouldn't recommend this to other people. Like, I, I just... I was definitely not bored. That's what I will say. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, didn't see it in 99. I was nine years old at the time. Um, n- not that that would have stopped me. Uh, I yeah. watched like, too many movies that were just not okay for nine-year-olds to watch. Um, sure. But uh, before the podcast, 
I I'm giving it the same rating as Phil. I gave it a, I'd give it a ten, and I'm gonna continue to give it a ten. But because <laughs> mainly because I I am the opposite of Phil in that I do enjoy these kinds of movies, yeah. and I think this is just truly like not entertaining to watch unless it's three in the morning and you just came back from drinking yourself into oblivion with a bunch of friends and you guys are just like still drinking and you just put the TV on and universal soldier, the returns on and like, you'll just keep turning to the cat to the TV every now and then and just be like, Oh yeah, that was kind of dumb and stupid and just enjoy it. But I would never recommend this to anybody. This is sadly not the worst one in this franchise. Um, (laughs) What would you have given the first universal soldier? Um, well, also because I rate things at a different um, level than you guys. I, my level of fa- – I basically grade movies like I'm grading at paper in school. So like my level of failure is 65. Um, okay. So I would give the first Universal Soldier like like a 75. It's a, it's a passing like C plus B minus movie. This is like passable. Yeah. It's – it's trying to be about something more if it's not necessarily achieving it at the greatest uh, level because Roland Emmerich is a competent filmmaker, but he's not a good filmmaker. This, like his, the first one at least looks like a movie and feels like a movie. It yeah, has sure. a good action and like Lundgren is legitimately entertaining in that movie. Um, Plus, like to your point, Lundgren and, and, and Jean-Claude Van Damme play well off of each other in yeah. that movie. Like there's actually a sort of a, there's a kind of a two hander almost component to it. Yeah. Um, well, it's also a very simple story. It's, it's yeah. first, it's first blood in its, in its own kind of techie way. Um, just about one man pursuing another, basically Brian, Annie and fucking and it's, Stallone. It's, it's basically mixing first blood, the first Terminator and Robocop. The Robocop. Into a yeah. yeah. I would have have given it a 75 on my scale. So that's, you know, that's a little higher. I I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know. I I understand where you're coming from, Tom, in terms of like, this is an affront to a genre you love. But this is a genre that I love as well. But I love it in part because of how little... I think about all the shit when I'm watching it, which is like all I all I ever want is like to not be constantly Googling shit or I'm being shit or fucking coaching clickers shit. It just it washes over me in the best possible way. It's, so uh, so basically, uh, I mean, I I watch a lot of B movies a lot and like bad movies that I can at least enjoy because the action's good. That's sure. why this is so low because like I said, that balance isn't there where you, the, the, the elements you're going for to going to a B movie to see are just not there. So it's just a lot of, um, wheel spinning. And, um, I would, you know, say, I know Phil's not the biggest horror movie guy and like brutal violence is not the easiest thing for you to handle, but the, Two John Hyams Universal Soldier movies are, I think, legitimately great. I think, Kenny, you would get a big kick out of them. I think Day of Reckoning is one of the 10 best action movies of uh, the 2010s. Oh, it's, that sounds real. It's basically like they um, mix Winter Soldier with Apocalypse Now filtered through, like, Tarkovsky. It's the weirdest fucking movie in the world. It's like, but it's artful. Um, 
So, I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> Tom, I have two very quick questions before. Um, two, Tom, I have two quick questions for you before we uh, before we let you go. The first is, do you have thoughts on Shrek being added to the National oh, yeah. Registry today? I was about to ask him this too. Oh, we're we're actually going to. Uh, I'm sure I, you saw the tweet. We're going to record our emergency uh, podcast about the new films in the registry. I haven't seen the entire list, but I've seen a few spoiled, like Shrek, which. No, right. Um, I saw the Dark Knight. Do you want us to list the the list for you? No, or do you want no, us to, they what need we're to do gonna, it live? Because we're going to do it like Kyle, our producer, is going to like try to get us to guess what each one is with hints, and then we're going to react to it. Cool, in- cool. Well, I, so I don't want to spoil any of them for you, which is why I went specifically yeah. for Shrek because I wasn't sure if you had recorded the episode yet. Um, Shrek does not deserve to be on the National Registry. It should, not, it should not be I, enshrined in history. I before, see the argument. Before we go there, yes, yes. I want to ask you, Tom, Now, how many of these have you yes. done? For those of you who don't know, Tom's podcast, You're Missing Out, is about the National Film Registry. They're starting with the first year where they started inducting movies, and then they're going to go year by year by year. Um, and part, my understanding is, for you guys to kind of examine and investigate what makes a film worthy yes. of inclusion in the National Film Registry. Yeah. So how many of these have you done now? Oh, God. I think we – because I think there's 25 in the first year, and I think we're 20 or 21 done. We only got a few left. So how uh, – so you're almost done with the first year. Have you come closer to defining what makes a movie – worthy of inclusion uh in this you know illustrious group well i think it's um it's it's fluid i think there's a lot of different reasons for why a movie would end up in the registry sometimes it's just because the movie's fucking great and there's no like needing to argue about it there's no like oh it influenced things or it changed cinema because it was epic in scope or whatever it's like um some like it hot you just watch that and you go, oh, this is perfect. Yeah, okay. If you want to put a comedy in the film registry the first year, there is no reason why it shouldn't be something like it hot. It's perfect. Um, then you get movies like Gone with the Wind, where it's because of its impact on the industry. And right. even though I don't like the movie, not as vitriolically disliked as a lot of people seem to feel about that movie these days, I just don't like it but i can see like there's i understand the argument and i i agree that it should be in the film industry it changed cinema with its epic scope Mm -hmm. it was the titanic of its day it was this big epic movie and it's sold more tickets than any movie ever and uh you feel its influence in movies to this day so i can see the argument for why shrek is should be in the film registry um because I, I think this goes beyond if a movie's good or bad. Because, yeah. I, like I said, I didn't like Gone with the Wind. Uh, I didn't like D.W. Griffith's Intolerance. But I see the argument for, like, it changed animation for the worse. I, yeah. Because if it wasn't, if it was just Pixar doing those kind of 3D animated movies, animation might yeah. be different. But Shrek really opened it up and said, this is really all it can be while also Disney animation, 2D animation is just failing. So it felt like, okay, mm-hmm. Shrek is what it this needs to be. Not just in 3D animation, but in that really bad way of that, oh, well, they need to have uh, modern music that 
you know, that fill up the soundtracks and modern references so kids can laugh and then adults are just fucking tortured throughout the entire but movie. I would, I, you know, it, it's interesting because you, you're talking about sort of the idea of, of timelessness, like yep. a, a movie kind of being frozen in ember a little bit and yeah. this idea of like, this is why this film was important in this moment. And I agree with you that Shrek in its moment uh, is is effective in that way. And if that is a metric, which I would imagine it is, I totally get why Shrek is there. At the same time, Shrek has aged so poorly, not yeah. just in terms of its animation, but in terms of all the pop culture references that you're you're talking about. It actually it just makes the film so dated. I, but I guess that's kind of the point. I think that's kind of I think that is ultimately the point because it it because yeah. this is all about tracking the history of cinema and where things were at the time and how uh, things were. Yeah. You know, like we talk about Gone with the Wind, like the movie's got is problematic in ways, but it's not problematic in the fact that it's trying to be racist. It's just the flaws of the time when they were making movies made it racist. Um, same with this, you know, the searchers. Right. Um, we talked about that and that's a movie that's not trying to be racist. It just has the unfortunate effect of being made in the fifties and yeah. they didn't, they couldn't cast a native American character with a native American actor. And also the John Ford of it right. all. Um, so, I mean, also Shrek was the first movie to win the best animation Oscar. So it's got this yeah. really annoyingly important <laughs> part of history for film. So yeah. it's aged like, go- like dog shit. I, I can't argue <laughs> with that, but it is Shrek, important. I think Shrek is, um, I think Shrek is an abomination and, uh, truly one of the worst movies that has ever been made. Um, that being said, uh, I would look, I look at the registry very similarly to how I looked at, look at the baseball hall of fame, which is ultimately what you're trying to do is create a repository that tells the story of film. And can you tell the story of film without Shrek? I don't think you can. I don't think you can explain how, you know, there are 10 to 12 completely shitty 3D animated movies that make 80 to $150 million every year that aren't Pixar or Disney animation to some extent uh, without telling how this started. And it started with Shrek. Shrek took something really great that Pixar was doing and bastardized it and said there's another more hideous lane you could go down. And it was a lot more it was a lot easier for everyone to go down that lane and they did it. So I I for instance, I'm not the biggest Blues Brothers fan, but I understand that Blues Brothers is wildly influential. Yeah. I understand that if Blues Brothers fails, you don't have 50 Saturday Night Live movies. You don't have musical movies the same way. You don't have the career of, you know, Aykroyd and Belushi. Blues Brothers, and on top of that, there are a lot of people who think it's one of the great movies. And now um, it resurged every blues, you know, musician's career. Musician, yeah. There's a lot of value in, in Blues Brothers um, that – you. You hear that in the background? Uh, my yeah, yeah, That's can, my son yeah. talking about my new dog. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I I think that I think that movies like that almost have to be there. I think I think Grease is trash. I always have thought Grease is trash, but I understand yeah. that that I Grease, love Grease. 
Grease is a valuable movie. I understand that Grease is a valuable thing that's happening. Don't, don't spoil too many of them. For, oh, I for, saw uh, Grease was okay. was in. I saw The Dark Knight. And um, sorry, I didn't know which ones. Uh, Kenny. Oh, sorry, Tom. They're, they're yeah, there are obviously twenty five every year. They were like the top line ones on the um, on the thing. But uh, it's yeah, I, I I think it's essentially a repository. Can you tell the story of film without these movies? Like, can you tell the story of baseball without Clemens and Bonds? I don't think you can, and I don't think you I don't think you'd want to. I think it would be this, you know, it would, it would be like trying to explain where babies came from without explaining sex. So, wait, what? Um, the other the other question I had for you, Tom, is, is in uh, is in relation to uh, the film we're doing next week, which is True Crime, the Clint Eastwood film. We have uh, Norm Wilner coming on, uh, a critic from uh, Now Magazine in Toronto. What are your thoughts on Clint Eastwood, Tom? Do you have um, thoughts? Are you a fan? I have well, a feeling Thomas thoughts. <laughs> I have thoughts. Well, um, to start off, my youngest dog is named Blondie after The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, nice. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly being my favorite movie of all time. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. The movie that uh, accidentally always ends up having some element in scripts I write where I always go, oh, fuck, it's there again. Um, <laughs> I love Clint. I I love him as a actor. I'll watch any movie he's in as a performer because I think he's got a. I just love that. I think there is a thing that a lot of guys in this country at the you know in the sixties, seventies, and eighties kind of missed, which is that there is an element of kind of self critique to um, Clint's uh, acting in that sure. he's always kind of playing shitheads and bad, like kind of bad dudes. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah. The first Dirty Harry movie was sold as a crazy cop versus a crazy killer, which, I mean, people just misrepresented. And the second yep. one, he's like, shit, people are not getting this. I need to make a movie where the cops are the bad guys. Um, I he think did the opposite of what Universal Soldier did. Basically. Um, I think he's a very – I don't think he's the greatest <laughs> – <laughs> I don't think he's the great – like, he's not the greatest – actor in the world with the widest range but i think he's a great persona mm-hmm. and he can elevate even some of the lighter weight movies which i think true crime is one of his lighter weight movies that isn't one i necessarily go back to a lot um as a filmmaker i think he is pretty great when he hits the ball he as we've seen the last like 15 years he can really whiff a movie but yeah. when he hits, I don't. There's not many westerns that I think are better than Unforgiven. Um, I think Mystic River is a great goddamn movie. I mean, Outlaw Josie Wales, another great western. Play Misty with me. He created the yuppie crazy girlfriend movie that you know, Basic in, um, Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction were doing. He did it like 18 years before them. Uh, I think. Well, Flags of Our Fathers isn't a great movie. I think Letters from Iwo Jima is a great movie that uh, humanizes a side of the war we don't see often and gives a perspective to the Japanese that we're fighting that is truly human and three-dimensional and doesn't just victimize them. Um, I think he's, you know, it's, he's, and, you know, Kenny and I will, we'll get into this um, when we do the episode, but I, I, I really do think he's a complicated and interesting guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's great that he's made as many films as he's made. I think that, you know, when he leaves this mortal coil, it's a hell of a filmography that he's leaving behind. Yeah. A legacy that's kind of unparalleled in its own way. Um, I've never seen true crime, so I'm, I'm interested to watch oh. it. It's, it, 
it's not a movie that anyone talks about really in his no. filmography. I'm sure there's a reason for that. It's it's um, like it's it to me it's fine because I can watch Clint act in anything and be okay with it, but it's not you know, it's objectively not a great movie and yeah, Clint is a complicated guy. I mean, we we all know he's a Republican, but he was a guy in the 80s when it wasn't popular to say he's for gun control. And yeah. he makes these movies that are very critical of conservative ideals. And he's also a guy that when he acts in the last, like the last 20 years, when he decides to act, it's him criticizing himself. I mean, The Mule is objectively a metatextual movie about him criticizing how he fucked up his family by trying to be a, you know, by focusing on his career. Uh, Trouble with the Curve is the same thing. And, you know, Gran Torino is basically, could have been the swan song of, this is one of the personas I played in. He was a I I think, I I have to say, I mean, I, I remember going to the theater to see Million Dollar Baby, which I think is a complicated movie. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't watched it since. I remember it being quite powerful um, because of the pretty jarring turn that it makes halfway through the film yeah and then becomes a film about obviously about right to die i mean this is this is not a I, to your point this is not a guy who uh who looks at big who's scared who's scared or shies away from big issues you know he really turns into them and i appreciate that or not even just shies away from them that he doesn't just let his political leanings decide an, an issue for him he actually thinks right. things through and he's a conservative we all make fun of him because of the empty chair thing which was complete nonsense yep. and yeah roast the old bastard for that forever but um <laughs> yeah. he's not a guy that's just going to make a movie that's like yeah the like Mexicans are bad or whatever, or like immigrants are bad. Like that's basically what Gran Torino's about. It's about a racist old man realizing that, yeah, immigrants are just fucking people with their own problems too. And that you need to learn to look at people for something greater than what their color of their skin is. And, yeah. you know, he's a complicated dude. And I'm ex- very excited to hear you guys talk in depth about that movie. It, yeah, I'm excited too. I think we've, you know, we've hit about Clint here and there in the podcast. I know Phil and I are both, pretty big admirers of Clint um, and for everything you said, Tom, uh, I, I, my issue in general is with the, the way people talk about Clint because, because of his alleged conservative leanings and because of the empty chair. Um, he has been, he has been, caricatured in a way that in, in in a way that has no resemblance to the man who has directed and starred in all of these films. Yeah. And I fear that a man who very easily incredibly could be called the greatest American director uh, is now considered essentially an old kook who wore out his welcome and was probably a pretty good director for an actor. But I, I think that there's a very, very good case that he's the best American director, period. So uh, I I don't know. I can't wait to talk about true crime. I've never seen true crime. I can't wait to talk about Clint. Um, I'm thrilled that we had – I didn't realize, Tom, that you were like uh, a Clint mega fan, but I'm thrilled that we had you on to kind of – set the stage for that. But I think it was really important. Can I ask you one, one, one last quick question? Uh, as you know, uh, Tom, we're doing a 1989 Patreon as well. Yes. Clint did not direct a film in 89, but he did star in Pink Cadillac. 
Do you have thoughts on pink Cadillac? That is one of the few blind spots in my uh, <laughs> Oh, because I, I, as as they can see, but you guys can't because it's an audio medium. Yeah. Um, I have a wall of goddamn movies behind me. I make it a point that if Clint is in it or directed it or both, I buy it because I find him genuinely fascinating. I love all it. Like I said, um, that one's not on uh, Blu-ray yet. Um, I don't think it's even like streaming or whatever, but I, if I get into a Clint mode, uh, that's one of the ones I have left. It's like that, the rookie, um, this movie, his second movie he directed or third movie breezy he made, which is like a hippie road movie. Um, uh, so just just uh, for what for what it's worth for uh, I, I mean I have not seen Pink Cadillac either I'm going to read the logline real quick. Skip Tracer Tommy looks for bail jumper Lou Ann. Her crime is marrying Roy, who left counterfeit money in her mobile home and got arrested. She leaves Roy in his pink Cadillac full of money, and his psycho friends want their money back. In. Um, listen, I'm in, and I'm going to assume that it's. Uh, that's his wife he's acting with. What was her? I, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Bernadette Peters is oh, it's not, the oh, actress. It's not uh, his. Bernadette Peters? Oh. Yeah, God. she's the she's the female lead in that movie. I am, I love young Bernadette Peters. She was I mean, something else, man. I got I got to say, Kenny, I don't know. I mean, we could do it on the Patreon. We could do uh, a pink Cadillac. I also kind of want to do, uh, is it Bloodsport or Kickboxer from 89? Bloodsport. Uh, right? I don't know which one it is. But we, right. Well, maybe we'll we do that double too. bill with uh, with Tom for Pink Cadillac and Bloodsport. That'd be a right. hell of a double bill. In '89, uh, he did Cyborg and Kickboxer. John Claude Van Damme. Cyborg, but I would do Kickboxer. For sure. I would do both. Right. I would do either of those. Um, I'd rather do Bloodsport, but uh, let's do Kickboxer, maybe. Okay, right. let's. Uh, Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. You're going to come back for the Patreon in some form or another. It's going to be great. But um, thank you again for coming on. And everybody should listen to your podcast. You're missing out uh, as they as they go through the uh, National Registry, as we spoke of earlier. Um, thank you to all of our listeners. Please rate, review, subscribe. Um, thank you to Yonka Task for our art and our theme song. Emilio for doing our social media and for Ernie doing our producing. Thank yeah. you so much. It was and an will. pleasure. And will. Absolute pleasure. Uh, it was so- a dream. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. It's 1999. Podcast like it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.